Welcome to Interwork with Marianne Walker, certified life coach for the helpers, healers, and anyone who wants to up-level their life. Life is what you make it, and here we make life pretty great. Come on in. Hi there, and welcome back. I hope that you are warm and well today. The sun is currently shining here in Kansas, and I am thoroughly enjoying laying in the sunshine with my cat. <laughs> he and I are both very much solar powered. And so when the sun comes through the window on these cold winter days, that is just our happy place. And I find it also helps to keep this seasonal sads at bay too. So I just love that sunshine coming through. So as you may or may not know by now, my Facebook account was hacked. And when I was hacked, the hacker decided to post some extremely inappropriate content on my page that thankfully was reported. Um, it looked like they posted it at about 2.30 a.m. So I don't know where this hacker lives, but uh, apparently they're a night owl. So thank you to those who reported it. That should not be appearing in anyone's feed. Um, however, since there's no way for me to prove that I was not the one who posted it, Facebook has shut down my business page for 30 days. Um, I do have a friend who works for Facebook and is trying to get things uh, remedied for me and up and running again, but as of yet, that has not happened. So thank you for your patience. I truly appreciate it. I have not abandoned you. <laughs> I just can't get on Facebook. In fact, if you go to search for Inner Work with Marianne, you will find nothing, which is insanely frustrating during a product launch. Um, but yeah, you won't be finding me there. So you can still find me on Instagram and on TikTok, um, but you will not find me on Facebook. In fact, if you even go to my profile page and look under where I work, there will be nothing there. It has been disappeared. I know it's still up and running somewhere because all of the things that I've pre-scheduled to load on both Facebook and Instagram are still posting on Instagram, <laughs> but I just can't access my planner. I can't access my uh, business page on Facebook. And so um, anyway, I appreciate your patience with that. But because I am currently unable to advertise or support the group offering in the way that I would like at this time because I was planning to include a Facebook support group as part of my six-week program. Uh, but because of that, my six-week program is currently on hold. I have currently removed it from my website and I will repost it once I know better what platform I'll be using to support the group. So keep an eye out for that. For now, my plan is to open up again uh, registration after the holiday. Um, probably, I don't know, I think that my page is unblocked on December... Oh, pretty close to Christmas. It'll be right around Christmas time that hopefully I, I can post that back up there. And then my plan is to um, to start up the six-week course maybe towards the end of January or first part of February. But again, I will let you know um, as I figure out what's going on with that Facebook page. So yeah, but all that said and done, you know, this has actually been a great opportunity for me to practice what I preach, especially around allowing space for emotion. There's been a lot of emotion there um, around being aware of what sentences are coming up for me in my brain and how they're impacting me. Um, and it's also been a really great opportunity to ask myself, like, what am I making this mean about me? Because really, like, it's super easy in situations like this to take things personally and play the woe is me card, right? To be that victim. But Honestly, I know deep down this has nothing to do with me and it has everything to do with the hacker. And while it is interesting to think on why would people do this? Why do they do what they do? The bottom line is I can't control what other people are going to choose to do, um, but I can control my response to their choices. And so I am choosing to not be a victim. I am choosing to not make this mean that my coaching launch is a bust. <laughs> I'm choosing to make this mean 
that I am currently experiencing the 50% of life that is just not that great and that's okay. I'm choosing to make this mean that I have an awesome opportunity to learn how to better manage my mind. And I'm making this mean that rather than stressing about a launch over the holidays, I can enjoy my time with family and launch again in a few weeks and all will be okay. And who knows, maybe one day I'll even look back on this and laugh. Um, maybe. <laughs> but uh, for today, I'm choosing to to not be a victim and to be proactive about uh, creating something more supportive. That my timeline is going to be slightly shifted, uh, but I am going to be continuing to show up and uh, support and coach and all of those things. Uh, but today I wanted to actually share another experience that I had with you this week. It has been quite a week for me. <laughs> so Monday morning, I had the opportunity to show up for jury selection. Now I have received probably, I don't know, half a dozen or so uh, letters in the mail over the years. And um, for those of you that haven't had the opportunity to get one of those letters, at, at least in my county, then they put a phone number on on the letter and you're supposed to call it the night before to see if you're supposed to appear in court or not. And every other time I've received a letter, when I've called that phone number, I've been informed that they were able to resolve things out of court and I don't need to go in. Uh, but this time was different. They said that, nope, it's going to court, so we'll see you there. So um, I went to the courtroom at 8.30 a.m. on a Monday morning and there were about 60 of us or so that showed up for this trial and we lined the hallways until they were ready for us. And once we got into the courtroom, um, they had a whole bunch of chairs set up in the front. So they filled the juror box and in front of the juror box, they they called about, you know, just randomly selected 39 of the 60 potential jurors to question them. And then with the goal of narrowing that down to 12 jurors for this trial. And I was not one of the 39. So I was not even asked a single question. But um, those of us that weren't selected, we still stayed in the courtroom on the off chance they were unable to find 12 jurors that would be able to um, e effectively show up for this case from a place of uh, non-bias and be able to create a space for a fair trial. So the point of questioning the jurors was to kind of check for any bias that may be um, influence, yeah, that may be showing up to influence the fairness of the trial. So this was a first degree murder case, and it happened here locally. And I'm guessing that that's why there were so many of us in attendance. I don't know how many they usually call, but that seemed like a lot. Um, it, it's a very heated issue. It's literally very close to home. And so uh, they wanted to make sure they had a lot of options there. Uh, so first, they wanted to kind of get a feel for um, for just the people in general. They wanted to know if anyone had heard anything about the case, if they lived in the apartment complex, or if they knew anyone that lived there, if there were any associations there. Um, just to kind of get a feel for things. The the attorney asked questions about gun control since this was, you know, assault with a deadly weapon here. And uh, they, they, yep, so they asked about uh, different gun control things. If there was anybody that was super pro-gun or if there was anybody super anti-gun, uh, they, they asked a lot more questions to the members of the NRA and those that were uh, military or law enforcement uh, to see if they would be able to show up from a, a, a non-biased place for a fair trial. They also showed us the witness list and asked us if we knew any of the witnesses um, and and if that would be influencing how we felt. Uh, they also showed a list of the police officers that would be testifying and asked about any uh, negative experience with police officers that might be influencing their ability to listen to their testimony. Uh, they asked if there were any family members that were that were serving as officers uh just again to see if if anyone would be uh, more or less likely to believe or disbelieve a witness testimony due to their previous experience with those that served in that capacity 
Uh, they also asked questions like if anybody in the room had been a victim of a violent crime and if there had been resolution for that crime, if that was going to impact how they showed up. Uh, they asked if anyone, uh, if they knew anybody personally, you know, in, in their immediate friends and family who had been a victim of a violent crime. Uh, it was really interesting. They also kind of asked about uh, the jurors TV watching and how many were interested in court TV and what their their assumptions were around how things worked in the courtroom, uh, specifically around if they felt like it needed to be, you know, how much evidence needed to be provided, if it needed to be proven 100 percent or or, you know, or, or what or if it was just reasonable beyond reasonable doubt. It was kind of interesting. The attorney that was uh, doing the questioning, he said, so let's assume that you you go to bed and there's no snow on the ground and then you wake up in the morning and then there's snow like do I need to prove that it snowed or show you footage? Or can we assume that, yes, it must have snowed last night? Uh, so he kind of talked about how sometimes with TV, I just thought this was an interesting anecdote. He said that with the court TV, oftentimes then then it's, well, and we found this. And, and then we looked at this eyeball and it recorded the image of the last person they saw, which was this person holding a gun. And, you know, these really extreme things that are not actually scientifically possible <laughs> but i uh, just wanted to see what people's belief systems were what they expected in the courtroom and how that might um, influence their ability again to uh, create a space for a fair trial they also asked if anybody had um, any ailments any physical ailments that would prevent them from sitting for an extended amount of time they wanted to be sure that if anybody did have any physical ailments um, that the pain wouldn't make it harder for them to pay attention and hear all of the testimonies given and take in all of the evidence. Uh, they also asked if anybody was currently on any medications that would make it a challenge either to pay attention or to retain information. Um, and they asked if anybody had any visual or hearing impairments that would make it harder to receive the the information and the evidence. Uh, it was really quite a fascinating experience. And, and we kind of did it in two different rounds. So the first round of questioning was just over two hours. And then we took a brief recess and then came back in for, oh, I'm guessing another hour and a half or so before they were able to select their jury. Um, it was very thorough. But what I found most interesting to observe was the two attorneys. Uh, because I'm sure that, you know, both of them are very interested in potential juror bias right but also part of the game in the court system is to find people that you think might be more likely to vote in your favor while also eliminating those with a bias that would against you know work against your favor uh but it was kind of super interesting to me to see how one of the attorneys was essentially life coaching the candidates so one gentleman one of the potential jurors he kind of made it known that he didn't want to be there. <laughs> and I knew from the first time he raised his hand uh, that that he did not want to be there. But he kind of found reasons to raise his hand and volunteer information throughout the questioning. So they're all sitting down and they each have their sign with their number on it. And you can hold it up if you if you want to answer that question. Um, and so he he really made it known uh, not only about his, his uh, physical limitations, but he also made it known his judgments about uh, police officers, attorneys, and the court system at large. Um, he also volunteered that... The last time he served on a jury, he had served once before, and one of the other jurors, they they didn't see eye to eye, and it really created conflict, 
and uh, during the deliberations. And it was a very negative experience for him to even serve as a juror. And uh, I confess my own bias jumped in. I mean, like I said, that the first time he opened his mouth, I was like, oh, he doesn't want to be here. He's looking for a reason to get out. And, and But I was very impressed with the attorney that he was trying to practice what he preached by letting go of his own bias. So watching this attorney and, and his line of questioning, it, it, I came to better understand why there are so many attorneys that become life coaches. When I was attending life coach school, I was really surprised to learn how many of the students there actually previously worked as attorneys. Um, and I could kind of see why after seeing this guy in action. He did an amazing job remaining calm and just focusing on the facts of what this man was sharing uh, rather than his emotions. So for example, this guy was talking about how he had two brothers that were arrested on drug charges and and how they had a, he had a negative experience with you know, with the cops that showed up and he also didn't like the prosecuting attorney and, and, and all of these different things coming up. And, you know, and then when he brought, so he, he did this line of questioning for all the things, but, but specifically around the, uh, the jurors and things. And he asked, so were you a juror here in town? And he says, well, no, uh, that was in another state. He says, okay, so kind of look around this room or any of the jurors that you served with before, or any of them in this room? He's like, no, I don't know any of these people. He's like, okay, and and have you and I ever met before? Like, I'm a prosecuting attorney. Um, like, and it seems like you and I are actually having a very cordial conversation. Uh, like, do you, do you have any issues with with me personally, or is this kind of a different situation? And just kind of was like building a rapport with this guy, and then says, so you know, it sounds like the one thing that's the same is that you know you're a juror, but there's all of these other factors that are different. So. Is it possible that you could have a very dis different experience this time around? And the guy kind of, you know, was like, well, I mean, that's fair. Yeah, I guess it could be different. Uh, but it was so interesting to watch the gears turning in his mind as he was having these realizations and, and recognizing his own bias about the court system. So this attorney was kind of a master of just calmly redirecting thoughts and opening up new ways of thinking and challenging beliefs. And, and ultimately that that potential juror was not chosen <laughs> to be a part of the jury. But I still thoroughly enjoyed the process of just observing the human experience of observing bias coming up and observing this attorney, um, essentially life coaching this guy. And it really kind of got me wondering about all of the ways that bias comes into our lives. So we all have confirmation bias and we act through that lens every single day. Like maybe we're making some grand assumptions about a certain group of people or about certain situations because of our previous experience, which is 100% human nature, right? We we have an experience and we learn from it and we have our different takeaways and 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 then we apply that to other situations. Uh, but it got me curious about the situations when these biases get in our way and how self-limiting those biases can be, right? So like not just in the courtroom where it would make it really hard if you had a bias to, to hear those testimonies from different people, but how might you your bias impact your relationships at work and your ability to excel there? Um, how might it affect your interpersonal relationships? So for example, maybe you had a bad experience with an ex who had a beard. And now, you know, you never had these thoughts before you dated him, but but after the breakup, you notice that you're a lot more suspicious of anybody with facial hair, <laughs> right? So you find yourself having thoughts like, what are you hiding behind that hair? Or, or maybe, you know, you had one bad experience at Red Lobster. So true story here. One time my husband got food poisoning from a Red Lobster. And it can be easy, especially when we're experiencing the physical pain and discomfort of food poisoning, 
to think I am never going to eat at any red lobster anywhere ever again for the rest of my life. <laughs> but when you really think about it, it's like, okay, well, this was an isolated incident at an isolated location on an isolated dish and an isolated piece of fish prepared by this singular chef, you know, but um, we tend to overgeneralize life according to our singular experiences. And we tend to, you know, judge other people in the same way too, right? So we might assume that because we know one singular thing about an individual that we then know everything else about them. So for example, my kids like to tell me that they can tell who people voted for according to how they dress. Now, is it possible that you could know how somebody voted according to how they dress? Could you make a pretty educated guess? Possibly, right? There's a pretty good chance that maybe you can tell, you know, especially if somebody's wearing something uh, that's very specific to a certain party or a certain group that you might have a pretty good indicator as to how they're going to vote. But also, you could be completely wrong, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so it's kind of interesting to just think on how it shows up. So like, for example, if I have a new neighbor that moves in and they're wearing penny loafers, and in my mind, penny loafers means a very specific line of thinking, I might have a really hard time thinking that I have anything in common with this neighbor. When really all I know about them is that they wear penny loafers. But in my mind, I've turned it into this big deal thing. Uh, and so it's going to limit me having that neighborly relationship that, that I might be seeking with my neighbors, right? From just one tiny little thing. And so be curious about it for yourself. Like just for fun, just notice if you find yourself triggered by something, take the time to slow down your brain and ask yourself why. Like what is showing up for you? What is it that, was it a certain word? Was it a certain uh, line of phrasing in someone's commentary? Uh, is it their facial hair? Is it what they drive? Is it their shoes? Like what is coming up for you and why? And really take the time to back that up and, and start to question that. Like what, why, what are the reasons that you feel the way that you do? And are there any reasons why, um, you know, this situation might be different? Like kind of look at the evidence for both sides of reasons why this might be the same and reasons why this might be completely different so that you can come into it with an open mind and open to new possibilities. So let's kind of use the example of that potential juror, right? He was convinced he knew exactly how the system works, right? Because of his experience. And because of um, his, his brother being arrested on those drug charges, he felt he knew all cops and all attorneys and all judges. And yet this one attorney was taking the time to have this non-reactive, open-minded, curious conversation with him. And in fact, just that conversation alone was actually lending evidence to this guy's bias that that maybe that's not true, right? Maybe things are different this time. I have never had an attorney be this interested in my perception and what's coming up for me. I've never had an attorney take the time to help me to think about things in a new way. Maybe this could be different. So it was such a fascinating exchange to witness. And so what might happen if when you found yourself triggered, if you took the time to be curious about your own bias, and also if you looked for evidence for both sides, right? Evidence, like I said, evidence for how this might be true and also evidence for how this might be different because it's what you focus on that you're going to find evidence for, right? So if you are obviously showing up with confirmation bias, you're going to find evidence that what you're believing is true. We want to be right more than we want to be happy. <laughs> and that can be very self-limiting. So how might it change if you are able to be curious, right? Like I really wrote off this juror as somebody that just wanted to get out of jury duty. You know, none of us wanted to be there. First comment he made, I wrote him off. But this attorney was practicing what he preached by working to let go of his bias. He could have so easily written off this guy as, oh, he's just like the rest. 
He's just one of those guys. But instead, he took the time to ask the questions and to truly listen and to be open to the possibility that this guy might be able to view things differently. So what might happen, you know, if you found yourself diff- uh, triggered and you took the time to be curious about your bias, right? How might it change how you interact with your coworkers? How might it change how you interact with your spouse or with your children? Now, um, and it's also interesting to think about like, Another part of being a juror is to seek for what is true, right? We have to let go of our bias and seek what is true, not what we think should be true or what our previous experience has been, but actually look at the evidence and determine what is true when we actually look at the evidence from that emotionally detached place, right? So maybe it is true that this time is the same as last time, but and but we had needed but coming to that conclusion after really open-mindedly looking at the evidence that's going to um really change how we feel in that situation right it's going to help you to come to that conclusion from a place of calm clarity uh, rather than that uh kind of agitated uh evidence bias that that may be showing up for you right it's a completely different feeling it's a completely different emotion that is driving that So again, it was still decided that this grumpy juror would not be a good fit for this particular trial, but the attorney still took the time to assess the situation, to ask all the questions, to hold the space for any negative thoughts or emotions coming up for this guy and test the waters to see if there might be room for a more open-minded situation. And we can do that same thing for ourselves, right? It could have been so easy for that attorney to just dismiss him out of the gate, you know, that he's just like the others, Uh, but, but then he would have been acting through his own bias right? If the attorney had dismissed him, he'd be acting through his own bias, which was something that he was trying to discourage in all of these potential jurors. <laughs> so I kind of love that attorney is working really hard to be cognizant of his own bias and and to release that and to really work towards challenging that and being open to new ways of thinking and being. So we talk a lot on this podcast about separating out the facts from our story about the facts. And this experience in uh, in the court system is really just another take on that idea. You know, the fact in this murder trial was that this young man pulled a trigger and somebody was on the receiving end of that bullet. But there are going to be countless stories around those facts, right? That's why they had such an extensive witness list. There's going to be many stories around those facts. And the truest same for us, right? We can look at the facts of the case, you know, of, of whatever's going on for us. And we can we can hear things through our own lens of bias and experience. And then we get to choose what we're going to give more credit to, right? We need to show up to these experiences knowing that we're showing up through that lens of bias, but also know that there's another way to look at it, right? Bring that bias into our conscious awareness and then being proactive about what do I want to give the attention to? Do I want to give the attention to my story about the facts or do I want to give the attention to the facts and try to approach this more from a place of peace and let go of that story? Life is pretty wild, right? <laughs> I never know what's coming from one day to the next. Be it a hacker shutting down my business page or being a potential juror for a first degree murder trial, life happens. And we get to decide what we're going to make it mean. We get to decide if we're going to slip into victimhood. We get to decide if we're going to play the what was me card or if we're just going to be a conscious observer of, wow, this is an interesting experience. What can I learn from this? Uh, So I hope you're able to do that this week. You know, I hope you have a great week and let me know how it goes for you as you observe and become aware of your own cognitive bias. I really would like to explore this idea further. Um, And so, yeah, so come and find me. Like I said, Facebook is currently down, but you can find me on Instagram or TikTok. Um, I'd love to hear about your experience. Uh, my, you can find me at 
marianne.walker.life. Um, I would love to hear about your experience. And as a reminder, my six-week group coaching will be on hold until I get Facebook up and working in a way that better supports the group. Um, I do still have my one-on-one sessions on sale for $99 a month long. So if you're interested in one-on-one session, uh, take advantage of that. And then the group coaching for 240 will be launching after the new year. So watch for that. I love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. And um, yeah, and come find me on Instagram and TikTok. And let's all hope together (laughs) that Facebook will be up and running soon. All right. I hope you have a great one. Talk to you soon. Bye now.